Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Welcome to the SI Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer, back for another week. Last week, Andrew Marshan was on, talked about various topics in the news and sports media. So if you haven't checked it out, go to the archives and give it a listen. Two weeks ago, we had the full cast of Good Morning Football in studio for a very fun interview. If you didn't hear that, check it out. This week, we are speaking to Dale Hansen. He is the 70-year-old sportscaster from WFAA in Dallas. And here's the deal. If you are on the internet, if you read SI.com, you read Train of Thoughts, if you used to read Hot Clicks, you read Hot Clicks now, you read other sites, you are going to be familiar with Dale Hansen because he's gone viral a bunch of times for these monologues that he does. He went viral a couple of weeks ago because he had a monologue about the NFL national anthem controversy and had video of Jerry Jones, who is very anti-players, kneeling, wearing a hat during the national anthem. He's gone viral for monologues about the Cowboys signing Greg Hardy after his incidents and with domestic violence. He had a viral video talking about Michael Sam because people are up in arms that ESPN showed Michael Sam kissing his boyfriend at the NFL draft after he got drafted. Uh, He's gone viral for videos about why players are taking a knee during the anthem. He had a viral video about the Parkland shootings. I don't do much talking in this podcast, so that might be a benefit for some of you out there. So we talked to Dale about all the viral stuff and um, Dallas and What's it like being the liberal in Dallas and get into a whole bunch of things there. So here he is now, without further ado, from WFAA in Dallas, 
Dal Hansen. Thanks for joining me. Welcome to the SI Media Podcast. How are you? Well, I'm doing great. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So uh, you had another viral moment. I want to talk to you about uh, uh, most of the ones that have sort of spread like wildfire through the internet. Your most recent one came a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a, the national anthem, obviously, a huge topic with uh, players taking in some yeah. players, and it's very few players now taking a knee during the national anthem, but of course. Uh, the president of the United States has gotten involved, so now it's a big mess. And um, Jerry Jones is not a fan of anyone taking a knee. And then you caught Jerry <laughs> leaving his hat <laughs> on during the anthem. And uh, well, first, tell me, uh, was it? How, did you hear from Jerry after that video went viral? No, a lot of people ask me that, but uh, Jerry never calls me. He he never has called. Uh, uh, I, I can guarantee you he, he either saw it or he's he's fully aware of it. Um, but but no matter what I say uh, about Jerry Jones, um, uh, he never responds, um, which is um, which is fine with me. Um, you know, he, he still shows up to do our our interviews when we need him. He he still talks to us after games and the like. But. Uh, um, I'm pretty sure he wasn't too happy about it, but right. um, uh, but but he but he didn't call me screaming anyway. And, and and Cowboys PR doesn't reach out to you either. No, no, they used to years ago. Um, uh, former Cowboys president Tex Schramm uh, used to call me, and I was doing the Cowboys radio broadcast back in those days, back yeah. in the um, '80s and and the early '90s, and. Um, they went really bad. Uh, some people might remember, but they you know, had all these great teams for years and years. And when they finally turned bad in the mid eighties, uh, I would make some critical remark about a decision they had made or a trade or whatever it was. And Tex Ram would call and, and scream and cuss and probably fired me from the radio broadcast about eight or nine times. <laughs> um, but, but, uh, that, that was it. Um, uh, Jerry's pretty savvy in that regard. And I, I've always respected this. Um, I've always respected this about him that no matter what you say, no matter how critical you are, um, and, and in part, because I think he just loves the attention. He loves being on camera. Um, but that's fine. It's, it, I, you know, it, it suits my purposes to have him on the air. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't ever hold a grudge. And when you consider what some people, including me have said about him over the years, it's, um, it's actually quite remarkable, but uh, I, I respect that about him a great deal. I really do. It's very interesting because he does have a, a, I wouldn't say he has a great reputation around the country. So to hear that is um, very interesting to me and not something I would expect. Well, one of the, the, the single best example, when, when he bought the team in 1989 and, and um, uh, you know, took all the, the heat for firing um, uh, Tom Landry, um People were just, I mean, they were just ripping him. I mean, it was unbelievable. And there was a writer in particular, um, Frank Luxa was a great writer for the D Dallas Times-Herald and, and then the Dallas Morning News. And, and he wrote things that were so scathing about Jerry Jones that even I wouldn't say. I mean, <laughs> he went so far. Right. Uh, I mean, it was personal. It was vindictive because Frank was really close to Texram and, and, of course, Tom Landry and had been covering him for 30 years or whatever. And... We're in Thousand Oaks, California at the first training camp. And Frank and I are sitting there talking. And all of a sudden, Jerry starts walking towards us. And Frank looks at me. I'll never forget this. And Frank looks at me and said, oh, my God. Oh, this is going to be great. And I said, have you not met him yet? He said, no. 
And I said, well, get ready, because you're not going to believe this. <laughs> and he walked up in typical Jerry Jones fashion. He said, hey, Dale, how you doing? Oh, Frank Luxa. Oh, the great Frank Luxa. Frank, Frank, how long are you going to be here? We got to go have a drink, Frank. I know you like a good drink, Frank. Let's go have dinner. We'll go have a drink. And let's catch up, Frank. Good to see you. You ever need anything, Frank, you call me. And he walks away. Luxa looks at me and says, I can't believe it. He hasn't read a single thing I've written about him. <laughs> And I said, Frank, I promise you, not only has he written, read everything that you've written, he's probably got a copy of it in his desk drawer. Yeah. Well, and Luxa came to admit years later that uh, he, he's like that old punching bag doll, you know, with the rounded bottom. I mean, you could pop him square in the nose, but he bounces right back up and he's willing to take more. And uh, uh, it, it, it's not it's not the trait that a lot of people have uh, uh, in our business. Uh, and he's, he's one of the very few who... Um, who doesn't matter what you say. Well, it's he's also, still willing to talk to you. Yeah. I guess. I guess the cynic. I guess the cynic would also say maybe that, you know, it's also a little, um, what's the, you know, disingenuous. Maybe a little phony. Maybe you know. Maybe it's Jerry's way of courting favor or or. Oh no, yeah, you know. yeah. Maybe to some extent. I I think the cynic part of it, which which I don't view it as as being cynical but i mean there's no question he, he's working it for his exactly advantage. i mean yeah, there's no yeah. question about that but but then we all do that i mean everybody does that in one fashion or another yes. i mean uh, he is the master salesman yes and um and he knows at the end of the day um he needs television he needs radio he needs newspapers he needs magazine writers he needs uh, espn whatever uh to promote his product so that he can sell it, not just to the ticket buyers. I think this is what people miss sometimes. They think he's all about selling these tickets. I, you know, no, he, he's selling to the advertisers who want to be identified with his great product. Yeah. And consequently, he needs he needs guys like me uh, and others, of course, to, to talk about him. And um, so, yeah, if, if that's if that's a cynical approach, yeah, then so be it. But um, uh, he's certainly not the only one in America who does that. And yeah. Uh, um, and at the end of the day, when I've had to work with, you know, coaches and, uh, team presidents and whatever, uh, who, who won't even talk to you because they're so upset about your criticism of their organization or their team. Um, and I, I look at, that's where I get cynical. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's where I'm like, man, you're, you're, you're such a spoiled little baby. <laughs> I mean, come on, you know, we're, we're, we're big boys here, you know, right. take your best shot and let's move on. Right. Yes, this is a, a business where grudges are certainly held. That's for sure. Um, it, I'm going to go backwards here instead of continuing with the videos. I just just quickly uh, on your background, just for people listening who may not be familiar. Yeah. Uh, how long have you been at WFAA in in Dallas? I've been here uh, a little over 35 years. Wow! Um, I started here in, in uh, March of um, March of 1983. Right. Uh, and I came, I came to Dallas in, in August of um, August of 1980. And then a couple of years later, I was fired. Um, uh, they were the CBS affiliate at that time. It was Channel 4. Mm -hmm. And um, I got fired at, at Channel 4 and I got fired on a Monday. And, and the very next Monday, I was on the air at Channel 8. Um, and, and I've been on the air ever since. And has uh, it always been doing uh, the, the sports cast for the news? Yeah. Yeah. Give me. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, it's changed over the years. Right. I mean, as, as your business has, as our entire business has changed. I mean, uh, I used to do a much longer sports cast. I used to do all the ball scores. We had highlights from all over the country. Um, you know, we don't do that anymore. And, right. um, 
you know, the, the business has changed. And I think this is somewhat lucky for me. I think the business has become a little bit more, maybe not as much social uh, uh, issues that I choose to talk about, maybe, but uh, sports has become a little bit more of, uh, of an entertainment, a, a uh, opinionated vehicle uh, that, that, you know, some people don't like, but, but, but a lot of people do, luckily for me anyway. Um, and, and fortunately, that was right into my wheelhouse. Um, I, I've always said that, that if my entire life had consisted of writing about the Cowboys' latest win or loss or Rangers' highlights or Mavericks' highlights, I'm, I, I would have swallowed a bullet a long time ago. Um, I, I still like sports, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm more fascinated by the people who play the sports. I'm fascinated by what drives the individuals. Right. Um, I'm fascinated by the decisions that people in authority make. Uh, and, and in many cases, especially like with the Cowboys and uh, the signing of Greg Hardy, for example, um, you know, what, what, what drives you to make such, such a horrible decision, in my opinion. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and in writing about that and dealing with the, the blowback from writing about that is, is um, it, it's rather invigorating at the end of the day. So, and it um, it kind of keeps, it keeps my juices flowing. So. So tell me about the process in terms of, uh, you know, you just said <clears throat> social issues now are so much a part of sports, whether fans like it or not. And, you know, ESPN's having, they've sort of, I think, have uh, righted the ship there. But for a while there, they were getting so much blowback for covering social issues. And every I think every sports media company is a little different. Tell me, though, when, when an issue comes up, whether it's um, the Jerry Jones with the anthem, uh, you, you had yeah. done another video about the anthem protest not being about disrespecting the flag. When you want to cover that, right. when you want to do your monologue on that, do you clear it with station management? Do you ever hear from station management? Do they get a little nervous about what you're going to say? Or do you have carte blanche from WFAA? Well, uh, this needs to be understood completely. But uh, years ago, when I started writing these commentaries, um, and, and I kind of just kind of morphed into it, I, 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 I always wrote this thing at Christmas time. And it was a very fluff piece, for the most part. Um, but people seemed to enjoy it. And then I started dipping my toe in the water to see, well, maybe I should write this. Maybe I could write this. And, and it just kind of progressed as a lot of things do. Um, so when channel eight came to me years ago and he said, we, we would like you to write these commentaries on, on, you know, somewhat of a regular basis. And, and I said, no, I, I don't want to do that because I, Randy Galloway was a, uh, was a columnist for the Dallas morning news. And I used to listen to him screaming at an editor who had uh, gone through his column and changed things and took stuff out and clarified it in their opinion or whatever. And, and then I wrote a column uh, for the Dallas morning news one time and I didn't recognize it when it hit print. I mean, the, it, they just butchered it. They just absolutely butchered it. So I said to channel eight years ago that I'll write these commentaries, but I said, um, Unless you can show me where I libel or slander someone, um, you don't change a word. I, I write what I want to write. Oh, I love that. And with very, very few exceptions, on occasion, um, uh, on occasion, uh, the news director will call. I don't, I don't clear them in advance, but, but they just kind of automatically go through this process of, you know, the producer sees it, the sports director sees it, the, the news producer sees it, whatever. 
And on, on the occasion when I've written something that, that, um, that someone in that chain might think is offensive, I've gotten a call from the news director. When was, the, la- when was, only- the-, when was the last time someone called? I'm sorry? Uh, well, it was when I wrote the piece about, um, um, so I'm trying to think who the, uh, who the player was. Um, uh, the line was, they, I think it was about Greg Hardy. Okay. Uh, yeah, pretty, yeah it, was, it was. It was about Greg Hardy when the Cowboys signed Greg Hardy. And I had the line, the same people who are standing and cheering for the arrival of Greg Hardy to play for the Dallas Cowboys are the very same people who, if he showed up at their front door, to take their daughter out for a night on the town, they would shoot his ass through the glass. <laughs> so one of the news producers emails me. She said, Dale, you, you just can't say that. You just can't say it. I said, why not? What? She goes, you can't, you can't say shoot. I mean, you just can't say shoot. I mean, like, right. really? Right, right. I said, I think I can. And then I'm, I said, I thought you were upset that I used the word ass. And so Carolyn calls. And she just laughingly, Carolyn Mungo, our news director, and she said, Dale, I understand you're, you're really rocking the, the boat tonight. And I said, well, apparently. Yeah. And uh, she goes, do you, do you mind if I, if I see it? And I said, well, I would prefer that I read it to you. She says, fine, okay. And uh, so I said, let me just read it, and then we'll talk about the part that has apparently upset everybody. So I read it to her. And at the end of it, she goes, uh, so what's the part I'm supposed to be upset about? And I said, well, apparently it's the shooting his ass through the glass. And she's, well, I don't know of any body part that rhymes with door. Uh, <laughs> and I said, well, that's kind of my point. I said, it's just kind of a play on words and kind of a, you know, trying to go over that. I said, I'm not advocating that somebody's going to shoot him. Right. And she said, I don't have a problem with that. And I said, well, I don't either. She's okay, fine. Thanks. Thanks for letting me see it. Um, and, and they don't, um, I, I'm always hesitant to use the term carte blanche, but, but I basically have carte blanche, um, uh, with that basic premise, that basic understanding. Um, uh, I write when I want to write, I, I write only when I move to write about something, which is another thing that we, we hashed out years ago. I, I don't have the ability. I don't, I'm not good enough and I'm certainly not talented enough to write that column every week, every two a week, whatever it is. Right. Um, I, I've tried doing that to some extent in the past and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just, it just didn't work. And um, so we agree, uh, agreed years ago that, you know, and now they come to me a lot and they say, they, only one time. Uh, now they do come to me a lot and say, Dale, would you like to write about this? And I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to write about that. Right. And, uh, and they're fine. I mean, that's, that's fine. Yeah. The only time uh, they came to me uh, and uh, the general manager of the station, a guy named Mike Devlin, and he called me at home. And it was after the, um, the Black Lives Matter protest uh, in Dallas mm-hmm. uh, when the man opened fire and killed five police officers. And Mike Devlin calls me at home early in the morning. And uh, he said, I want you to write about that tonight at 10. And I said, well, Mike, I don't know. I don't know what I would say about that he goes well you got time and i said well i said mike i said what what would i possibly write about a black lives matter protest where a a nut with a gun um you know killed five police officers i said i said i write about sports and i said granted i write about so you know he said well you write about social issues all the time i said yeah but they're always connected to sports i mean 
domestic violence was Greg Hardy, uh, drug abuse, uh, the Baylor football team, uh, raping women, uh, the sexual abuse at Penn State University's football team. I mean, every social, I mean, Michael Sam played football. I mean, whatever the issue was, there was, there has always been a, a connection to sports. And I said, I don't know what this, the connection to sports would be. He said, it doesn't matter. And you've got about 10 hours to figure it out because I want it tonight at 10. So I was really kind of sweating over that one. And, and, and then quite frankly, it hit me. And, um, um, and I, I, I wrote it and it was, as he said, one of the best things I've ever written. And, uh, uh, now how did you, it was basically, how did you connect well, it to sports? I started it, yeah. I never, I said, my, my, my point was, I said, I said, I was sitting at my desk last night watching the Rangers. Um, they were getting shut out in Baltimore five to nothing. And I'm almost embarrassed to tell you that I know that. Um, but as I'm watching the baseball game, all hell broke loose in my city. Right. And then I went off and just started writing about the shootings and guns and all the rest of it I do. And then I closed it with, incidentally, the Rangers um, lost in Baltimore last night, nine to nothing. And I'm almost embarrassed to tell you that I know that. Right. Because the basic premise of the piece was, which is what happened. I mean, it really did happen. I'm watching the baseball game, and I mean, the whole newsroom just goes nuts. I mean, it, they just go nuts. And everybody's running around screaming, and I poke my head out of my little office there. And I said, what's going on? They said, oh, my God, there's been a shooting. They're, they're killing police officers. There, there's, a, there's a shooting. And I thought, wow. I said, where is it? They said, well, it's like three blocks up the street. And I went, wow, Okay. And I went back to my desk. I mean, what am I going to do? I mean, <laughs> what am I going to do? Right. Next thing I know, my sports director comes running in. He said, we got to go hide. We got to go hide. They might be coming here. And I said, where the hell are we going to hide? <laughs> I mean, they, they got to go through like five locked doors. I mean, <laughs> if they're going to go through five locked doors, there's a good chance they're going to shoot my fat ass. Right. <laughs> and I said, where do you want me to hide? In, in, in the toilet area? I mean, you know, I mean, there's, there's no place to hide. And I said, Sean, we're fine. We're fine. I mean, it's, it's terribly. Un and, and I basically wrote about this is what we have come to. I can't be the only person in America that we have become so numb to these mass shootings that I'm watching the Rangers game. I mean, what do you want me to do? They killed five police officers, but it was three blocks away. What do you, what do you want me to do? It happens every day in America yeah. and nobody cares. Nobody's willing to sit down and think about it and talk about it and maybe find a solution that we're not even looking for right now. Well, and that's why so I, I crawl up on this soapbox about guns and mass shootings. And, but I felt somewhat surprising. Um, well, I had one other line in there. I got it there. Um, our Lieutenant governor, a guy named Dan Patrick, uh, came out that day, which is the day after the shooting. And he said, I blame the, the, the black lives protesters. And it was just a peaceful march to the streets of Dallas. And he says, I blame the black lives protesters for the police killings in Dallas. And I quote him and I said, um, uh, our Lieutenant governor blames the peaceful protesters because our lieutenant governor is a fool. And I thought that line might get me into some trouble. And Devlin walks into my office the next day, gives me a big old bear hug from behind. Hmm. 
said, it's the best piece you've ever written. And he, as he turns around and starts to walk away, he said, oh, by the way, that lieutenant governor line is a fool is absolutely the best line you've ever written. And he's a Republican. Mm-hmm. He's a conservative man. Um, but he, he, they, they give me this, this freedom that I, I don't know why or how I've managed to earn it over the years, but um, they give me a great deal of freedom. I'm, I'm, I know for a fact they don't agree with everything I say, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never, uh, well, I take that back. Um, I, I was called down one time, but it was the stupidest thing I ever wrote. And thank God it never got on the air. Um, it was about a little league baseball game involving my grandson. And, uh, the story is too stupid and too boring, but, but I, I, I wrote this scathing piece about this, um, little league commissioner oh, and, uh, it was just stupid. Yeah, yeah. And, and even then, even then, Jimmy, they call me and they say, um, we want to talk to you about this, this commentary. And I said, Oh, you don't like it? And they said, no, we, we can't air this Dale. I mean, you've, you've gone way too far. I said, great. I hang up the phone. I mean, like the nine-year-old boy that I can be sometimes, I just hang up the phone. Right. And they called back, and they said, Dale, we're not saying you can't run it. We just want to talk to you about a couple of these lines in here that maybe we can you – know. I said, no, you're right. I don't want to run it. And I seriously had thought it through, and thank God they had the presence not to run it. Well, about an hour later, this, this Devlin, Mike Devlin, the general manager, called me. He said, hey, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm absolutely okay. And he said, well, why don't you come in and we'll talk about this commentary. I said, Mike, I promise you, it was stupid. And I appreciate you stopping me from making a fool of myself. And he said, well, I just want you to know, if you want to run it, we'll get it there. We'll get it there. I mean, we'll, we'll fix it. But Dale, you've libeled this guy and he's not a public figure and all the rest of it. And they were absolutely right. And, um, and I promise you, that's been the only time. Um, I've written I, I, that kneeling one that you referred to. I basically called out the president of the United States. Um, and and I, I'm not sure they agreed with all of it. I, I know some people in management loved it a great deal. But um, uh, I basically called the president of the United States a racist. And um, they just thought it was well presented and well argued and well delivered and Thank you for being on our team, and we appreciate what you do. And it's been amazing. It's, and it, it's been absolutely amazing. It helps that that's also true. Now, so the so the question I have is this, and and I, I'm guilty of this because I am, um, I guess, I guess the stereotype of the liberal New Yorker would be me, and when I see the 70 year old man from Dallas waxing poetic on these issues it does take me aback <laughs> because you sort of would think that the 70 year old man from dallas would be yeah, more yeah, conservative yeah. so my two questions for you are have you always had sort of a liberal slant to your views and two how is the reaction to your from your viewing audience because again i'm stereotyping as the liberal new yorker but i would imagine most of the people who are watching wfaa in dallas fort worth are conservative and you know maybe not so liberal so yeah but again it's a little bit of the stereotype that you're talking about um um i think two things there one no i haven't always been this way but but i have been since i was 17 years old and graduated from high school okay Uh, i I grew up in iowa I, i grew up in a in an area of the, of the country at that time, we had one black family in the entire county. And as I said in one of my commentaries about racism, um, 
I was like 15 years old before I realized that Willie Mays' first name really didn't begin with N. Uh, my, my dad used the N word like it was a proper noun. And I wasn't that bad a guy, but I was this typical, you know, conservative Iowa farming community, um, didn't respect the, the, the plight of black Americans because I didn't know any black Americans. Mm -hmm. And what was so funny about it back then, this was 1966, it was right at the height of the civil rights marches and everything. And I just thought they were troublemakers. Uh, I, I just thought this is, you know, they're just, they're just causing trouble because I was, I was ignorant. I, I, I don't think I was ever stupid. I was, but I was just ignorant of, of, of the diversity uh, uh, that I had never seen in, in my life. And what was funny about it, uh, people who knew what I believed and disagreed with me went off to the military back then, and they would come back almost to a man and go, you know, Dale, you're right. You're right. You just, boy, you don't want to be around these black guys, and you don't want to be around these Puerto Rican guys, and you don't want to be around these Hispanic guys. And boy, Dale, you're absolutely right. I went to the Navy in 1966, and it took me just a matter of months, and I went, Wow. This is a whole new world that I've never been exposed to. And, and how old were you at this and time? How old were you at this time? Just I was 17. Okay. I, I, I was 17. Okay. I, I, I graduated from high school. I went to the Navy a week after high school graduation. And the, the story, as, as trite as it sounds and as corny as it probably is, eight, nine, ten months had gone by. And now I'm, I'm, I'm in um, Patuxent River, Maryland. And I'm stationed at this naval air base in, in Maryland. And we're all sitting in a bar, and there's like five or six of us. And if you're old enough to remember, but you used to have like jukeboxes in the booth, oh, yeah. and you could sit there and you you know put like a dime in, and you pick a little song off the jukebox. You play your own music in the booth, and we're all flirting with the waitresses, and we're slamming shooters, and we're drinking that three-two beer, and we're all getting drunker in hell, and we're playing our Beatles music and our Rolling Stones music and all the rest of it. And all of a sudden, these, these six black guys come walking in the bar. And as was the custom back then, they sat on the other side of the bar. And I'll never forget this. Or I should say it'll be the last thing I ever remember. I'm sitting in the bar, and we look across, and this buddy of mine looks at me. He says, look at those SOBs, and used a few other words that, that aren't appropriate for any area. And, and I said, what, 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 what do you mean? What's the problem? And he goes, well, look at them. He said, they're obnoxious. They're loud. They're playing their damn music jacked up too high. They're flirting with the waitresses. And I looked at him. I said, <laughs> you mean like us? And I, I got up. And I don't know what possessed me to do it. I'm not saying alcohol might not have been a part of it. But I got up and I walked across the room. And I said, guys, do you mind if I join you? And I'm not saying that this was like walking across a bridge in Alabama, right. but it was a pretty good walk for a white boy from Logan, Iowa. And these guys looked up at me like, Hey man, what do you want with us? What, what's your problem? I said, no, I don't have a problem. I said, he said, why the hell you want to join us? And I said, cause I like Sam cook and Jackie Wilson and James Brown better than I'd like the Beatles. Huh. And they just started <laughs> laughing and it was that way forever. And I, became known as this guy for whatever reason that was always hanging around with the black guys. And I just, it wasn't that I liked 
black guys per se, right. but I do love diversity in my life. Right. As I tell people to, to say, I don't, I don't enjoy sitting down at dinner with my very best friend and his girlfriend uh, nearly as much as the dinner party that I'm going to have in, in uh, September uh, that I auctioned off at a dinner because I know some of those people are gay. I know some of those people are conservative. And it's going to be a hell of a fun dinner party for me to sit down with people that say, yeah, Dale, you're right. Yeah, that's fun. That's gratifying. But it kind of reaches a limit there. I mean, I, it, it kind of tops out where, yeah, okay. But I love sitting down with my other friends who are conservatives, uh, uh, who, who one of my best friends served 20 years in the Air Force, and um, he's very conservative. And I mean, I just... And that's really what the whole attraction, I think, at the right. beginning, especially was. Um, and then when I got to Texas, um, the, the first thing that I really wrote that kind of jumped out was, um, and this is one of my favorites, um, Texas A&M. We, we caught Texas A&M in a big cheating scandal with the football team. And I believe this was 1985, 86, somewhere around there. And uh, I, I wrote this commentary because Jackie Sherrill, the head coach at Texas A&M, uh, had referred to his quarterback as this colored boy who you can make him football smart, but you can never make him smart because you take these colored boys out of the jungle. They're just never going to learn. Eesh. And I'm like, Oh gee, thanks. Okay. I'm going to use that. Well, you can't. I said, well, yeah, I can. We, we began this conversation with everything's on the record and I'm going to use that. So the chancellor calls me and he's threatening me and the lawyers called and they're threatening me. So I wrote this commentary that night and I quoted Jackie Sherrill and I said at the end of it, <laughs> I said, my problem is I'm one of those liberals uh, from the sixties who grew up believing in what Bobby Kennedy used to say. Some men see things that they are and ask why others see things that they could be and ask why not. I'm Dale Hanson. Good night. I got off the, and I called Jackie Sherrill a disgusting human being. At the end of that quote, I said, and he's the head football coach at Texas A&M. And I said, Jackie Sherrill is a disgusting human being. And I get off the air and our anchor at the time, John McKay, looks at me and says, Dale, you're, you're a dead man. <laughs> and I said, why? He goes, well, you, you, you can't call the head football coach at A&M a disgusting human being. He said, you're going to get crucified for that. So the very next day, this Dave Lane, the general manager at that time, comes into my office and says, come downstairs, we need to talk. I walk downstairs. He has a copy of my written commentary, and he wads it up and throws it at me and bounces off my chest as I'm getting near his desk. And he goes, did you say this on our air last night? And I'm looking at this crumpled piece of paper, and I said, well, I said, Dave, I, I did. He goes, what the hell were you thinking? And I said, well, Dave, I'm, I'm thinking that Jackie Sherrill is a disgusting human being and somebody needs to say so. He goes, no, 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 I'm not talking about that. Hell, you proved that. Of course he is. You quoted that damn liberal Bobby Kennedy and told people that you're a liberal on our station in Texas? <laughs> what the hell are you saying? <laughs> oh, man. I walked back out of his office. And I said, well, Dave, I said, I think it's, I think I should tell people that I'm a liberal. And, uh, and I hadn't even really thought it through this much at that point, as strongly as I believe it now. 
I think it's good that people know, <clears throat> excuse me, that I, that I am a liberal, and then they can, they can run it through their prism to see if they believe me or not. Right. Um, and I don't shy away from the label. And, and I told Dave that, and he said, all right, all right, okay, fine. So I walked back out, John McKay said, what happened? And I said, well, he's pretty upset. And he goes, uh, about calling Jackie Sherrill a disgusting human being. I said, no, about quoting Bobby Kennedy and admitting that I'm a liberal. And, and we, but he just howls. I mean, we just, so, we laugh about it. We've been telling that story in one fashion or another for almost 30 years now. And, uh, uh, it, it, it was incredible. And, and that's just kind of the, the genesis of it. And I think people, for whatever reason, uh, although I, I get that question a lot, um, you know, yeah, we, we're a red state, but, but I think when you strip it all the way, uh, as I always say to everybody, we're not all redneck, homophobic, conservative, ignorant people down here um, in Texas. We, we, just, we just elect them to public office. <laughs> and, and there's a lot of right-thinking people who just don't get heard very much. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and I think some of these issues... I hear from a lot of, of self-identified conservatives uh, who, who have a social conscience, I guess is the best way to say it. Uh, you remember when George Bush ran, the second George Bush, and, mm-hmm. and he was presenting himself as this compassionate conservative. Well, he is. I mean, I've known George Bush for almost 40 years. And uh, while I don't agree with his policies and a lot of other issues, maybe, I know him to be a good human being. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, I do believe in that you can be a compassionate conservative. I, I'm told by my, some of my liberal friends that, that that's a complete oxymoron and you can't be. And I, I, I don't believe that. But well, I, I, for whatever reason, I, I've managed to, um, for whatever reason, I've managed to strike a chord that, um, uh, and what, and what I hear a lot is, you know, I, I, I don't agree with everything you say, but I love listening to you and the way you say it. And, um, uh, I'm not afraid of your arguments, so bring them on. And, um, and, and for the most part, that seems to at least reach enough people that channel eight has decided to keep paying me for 38 years. But, but I'm curious with the viewers, fans on the streets, uh, I don't know if you can break it almost into a percentage, but I mean, are you ever heckled? Are you ever getting the death threats? Are you ever getting viewers saying they're never going to watch the station anymore? How, how much of that is going? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, is no, that go, is that going a lot, a in, little in bit? In person, as 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 my buddies like to say, um, I mean, in in person, I, I tend to get more of the rock star treatment. You know, it's um, it, it's like anything. Uh, people take the anonymity of, uh, of of social media. Oh, I've had all the death threats and. Um, I've had some of the most vile things said about me and my wife and my family. And, um, uh, yeah, I, oh yeah, I get all of that. Right. Um, and I get it on a regular basis. Um, uh, and I've certainly had, I've certainly had thousands of people tell me over the years that they, they're never going to watch me again. And as I always tell people, well, I tell you what you do, get all your friends uh, who never, ever watch me. Just ask them to send me a nickel. And you won't have to watch me because I'll be living on my private island in the Caribbean. Um, I mean, I hear that all the time. But then I also hear, I quit watching you years ago. And I can't believe what you said last night. And I'm like, well, I thought you quit watching me years ago. Well, I was just walking through the front room and my husband had the TV on. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. Sure, I got you. So let me- um, yeah, I don't know what the percentage would be because, I mean, people in person, um, 
I've, I've never, oh, I don't know, maybe one or two drunks have come up to me over the years. I mean, seriously, uh, maybe one or two, three drunks have come up to me and uh, argued about something I had said on the air. But um, 95% of the people who meet me in person are, are very nice. Yeah. Um, emails, it kind of depends what the issue is. Um, uh, when I wrote about Michael Sam, uh, I, I, had, I had more than 6,000 emails when I stopped counting. And these are emails I'm talking about sent directly to me. This doesn't, this doesn't begin to count the thousands of people who posted comments on Facebook pages or, you know, whatever, websites at Channel 8 or whatever. These are people who took the time, in my opinion, took the time to sit down and write me an email. So I had, oh, I don't know, probably two or 3,000 um, in the first couple of days, and they were all incredibly uh, supportive. And I said on the air, Pete Delkos, our weather guy, said to me, he says, what's the reaction been to that commentary? And I said, well, surprisingly, it's been all positive. Um, I mean, I got about 3,000 emails, and they're all very, very supportive. Oh, my God, that was the wrong thing to say. <laughs> because then I proceeded to get about 1,000 emails telling me how I'm going to burn in hell for all of eternity. Right. And they hope my kids die of cancer and uh, I mean, it was just unbelievable. It's, I mean, just absolutely unbelievable. Again, maybe it's the New Yorker in me, but it's fascinating to me that that was even a controversy, that ESPN showed Michael Sam kissing his boyfriend at the draft. In New York, I mean, we don't even blink or flinch at that, so um, yeah, it's yeah, fascinating yeah. to me. So I'm just, so, well, see, and this is what's funny about it. When I wrote it, I tell you, this is absolute true story. When, when I wrote it, uh, all my friends said, yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. That, that'll work. You know, I'm like, really? I thought it was a little bit better than that, quite honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I hit the air, and I thought, man, it's okay. It's fine. When I read it, Billy Sons was on our floor crew at that time, a very liberal young man, and he pokes his head around the camera, and he said, what do you think the reaction to that will be? And I said, well, I'll get about 100 emails over the next couple of weeks, and um, you know, 50 of them will love me, and 50 of them will hate me, which is about what usually happens, again, depending on the issue. And by the time I got home, I had like 120 or something. I thought, well, that's kind of quick. Uh, next morning, I got up. I had like 500. By the time I got to work that afternoon, it was well over 1,000. And I, I really didn't know what was going on. And it, it started to go viral and however that starts to work out. And I didn't think it was any big deal because it, it, it was just common sense to me. I mean, um, um, you would I, think. I'm being honored Saturday night at this, um, uh, the, this gay church in Dallas and, um, they're giving me a very nice award. And, um, shortly before I was talking to you, I was talking to this reporter for this, uh, paper in town that wanted to write about this award. And I was telling him the same thing. I, I, I said, I promise you, I mean, I'm, I'm very flattered, but I said, I, I didn't think it was that big a deal. Right. Uh, it, it just seemed like a common, and much of what I write, um, uh, one of my, and he is a good friend, but he, but he tends to be pretty critical of my work. Um, th th this friend of mine named Mike Fisher, and he said one time in an article, well, yeah, wow, Dale Hansen's so good. He writes about don't beat up women, um, respect your parents, love your children. Wow, that's incredible. And I told him one night over a beer, I said, well, then why don't, why don't you write it? And I said, because it's, it's really that, just that simple. I said, uh, you know, here you are working for this website covering the Mavericks and the Cowboys. Why, why, don't you, why don't you write it? And then you can go on the Ellen DeGeneres show. And you can be on 
the Sports Illustrated podcast, and you can be profiled in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Why, why don't you write it? And it was a very arrogant thing to say, probably, but it it did kind of irritate me that, uh, yes, I agree. On the one hand, it's I, I don't think it's any, you know, Shakespeare didn't create this, but I think there's a certain poetic flow to my arguments. I think there's well, some pretty good lines I, in there that make you chuckle or make you react or make you laugh or whatever. Um, and again, as strange as it is, I, I do seem to be one of the few self-identified liberal sportscasters in America who's not afraid to talk about the Greg Hardys of the world and the drunk drivers of the world and the Lawrence Phillipses of the world um, um, well, I, and, and call out the racist when I see him. I mean, I don't know. It's not a big deal to me, but it, it seems to resonate with some people. And I think what gives your argument credence now is just look at what's going on in the country at the moment. And we have a president who doesn't believe, you know, does not behave in any of the ways that, um, your colleague there said that, you know, we should, it's very simple. Everyone can sort of do that, but our own president isn't doing that right now. So I think a reminder to behave like a good person is not a terrible thing. I, I'm curious, the Michael Sam video, that was the first one that, that went viral for you in the, in the sports blogosphere, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Now, so tell I'm, me. Um, yeah, I tell you, uh, I mean, Shelly Slater used to be, a uh, used to be our early evening news anchor and she's the one <laughs> I know this sounds stupid, but I promise you, this is who I am. Um, when I got to work that day, like I said, there was there were well over a thousand emails, and the emails started coming in from New York and and California and Australia and Canada and London, England, and and I swear to you, I'm standing in the newsroom and I said, "How the hell is this possible?" I mean, I, I'm thinking to myself, "How big of an antenna do these people have?" For God's sakes, I mean, they're picking up my signal. And Shelly Slater looks at me. She said, you really don't know what's happened, do you? <laughs> and I said, no, why? She goes, you've gone viral. And I'm like, what does that mean? Well, I feel okay. Yeah. I mean, you know what? And, and I, I, I promise you, as, as, as dumb as this is to probably admit, um, I, I kind of showed the fact that I am this, at that time, 65, 66 mm -hmm. years old. And I, I said, I, I had no idea what that meant. I, I promise so you, I had... No idea what that meant. I, I believe you. The Michael, and, I, the Michael Sam thing, though, was several years ago. I'm just curious now. Are you an Internet user now? or you Do you do the Twitter thing? I mean, when you have a video like the one with Jerry yeah, Jones. No. I, so the Jerry no, Jones I, one a couple of weeks of ago. The Jones one's a couple. My, my, my wife. No, I don't. I don't do any of that. My, my wife has a um, my wife has a Facebook page that she keeps with her friends. Um, we have a guy at Channel 8, uh, my sports director, we call him the, uh, the uh, uh, Dale Whisperer. Um, if I say something, he'll say, uh, he'll, he'll tweet it out, right. you know. Um, uh, I mean, the station likes it, but I'm just not into it. I don't like it in many ways. So, um, uh, I, I, I go on the Internet a little bit, usually until I get kind of ticked off. Um, uh, I, subscribe, um, I, I subscribe to the Washington Post, for example, and, uh, on the internet and, typical liberal. and I read their columns and I, I'm sorry, typical liberal reading the Washington post. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. And, uh, we're trying to overthrow America. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, but, but, but anyway, but I, I listen, you know, I, I listen to talk radio and, uh, I, I watch all the, but see there again, I, I, I try as best I can to watch, you know, the Tucker Carlson's of the world. And why um, I, I don't need to watch racial Maddow because I, because I know she's going to tell me that I'm right, and I don't. I don't really need to hear it. So you'd rather I watch crazy. Try, you'd rather watch crazy people saying fake nonsense. 
I, I do for a couple of minutes okay. uh, until they until, in my honest opinion, they are that crazy. They are so blatantly lying. Um, but I, I, I really want to understand. I mean, I um, I, 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 I prefer to read uh, commentaries from the other point of view. Mm-hmm. I, I do read the Washington Post because I just I just think it's you know, I, I, I enjoy those columns for the most part. Um, but I also like it when George Will's got something in there, quite frankly. Right. Um, and and I, 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 I do like to hear, because believe it or not, and, and most people don't believe it, um, I, 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 wanna, I want you to explain it to me. I, 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 I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to understand why you believe some of this. And, and I'm open to that right up until um, – uh, which is why I never watched Sean Hannity. I mean, he's, he's an absolute joke. I mean, right. I, I just can't believe that Sean Hannity doesn't have a producer in his ear going, um, Sean, um, you know, Stephen Colbert is going to show the contradiction Tuesday night on his show, right? You know how stupid you just sounded, Sean, because this is exactly what you criticized President Obama for. You're now defending President Trump. I mean, right, but- I mean, it, it's laugh out, it's laugh out loud funny to me. And so I usually, I, I usually only make it for a couple of minutes right. and I, I turn it off. But well, I want to hear the other side. I mean, well, I really do. Well, when the audience, though, for that is a cult, they're not going to care that he's giving a complete opposite contradictory opinion that he than he gave than when President Obama was in office. So one of my yeah, no, they don't care. And that's what and I'm still trying to figure that out. They don't the, care. The, the litmus test that I give to all my conservative friends, and they fail it every time, of course. I said, let, let me ask you this. What would you say if President Obama had, had done that? What, what would you say? Oh, well, you know, I, know I would. I said, oh, please. I mean, you, you would have you would have been marching on the White House trying to drag him out of the out of the West Wing. I mean, please. Right. And yet when Trump does, and even when he does something that, that I know they disagree with, they go, ah, hell, they all lie about stuff like right, that. They, they yeah, all do that. They all, I said, so that, that's your standard now that, that you're, now you're saying that this is acceptable when it wasn't acceptable for the previous eight years. I don't understand people like that. I mean, I was critical of President Obama when I disagreed with him. I was very critical of um, uh, Bill Clinton during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Um, I was incredibly critical of Jimmy Carter. Um, I was supportive of much of what Ronald Reagan was trying to do. Um, I was, I was, I I am this self-proclaimed liberal, but people who know me best, I think, will tell you that I'm, I'm kind of hard to pigeonhole. Right. See, and I because, also. Um, go ahead. I, I'm not afraid of the other point of view. I guess yeah. that's the bottom line. I'm, yeah. I'm not afraid. I, I, I think you're an idiot to believe that. But, but um, let's go have a beer and smoke a cigar and call it a day. <laughs> I also, I also think one of the. This is just so off the beaten path. But I also think one of the problems we have today is that, you know, you're here saying you're a liberal. I'm saying I'm a liberal, conservative. This, that, and I don't. I honestly don't think the issue today is liberals versus conservatives, Democrats versus Republicans. I, I'm a liberal. I have no problem if someone's a conservative. I have no problem if someone's a Republican. Like you said, you want to hear the other side. The issue to me is with a Trump supporter, and I don't necessarily label a Trump supporter as Republican conservative. To me, it's a crazy cult at this point. And those people are the problem. It's not Republican traditional Republicans and conservatives who are the problem. Well, but see, I think that's also part of the problem. I, I, I absolutely agree that some of the Trump supporters are exactly what you say. But, but 
too many people are willing to put everybody in that basket. It's one of the lines that I thought Hillary Clinton botched completely when she when she talked about Trump supporters as being a basket. She goes, there are a basket of deplorables. And she gets crucified for it. And she then apologizes and she's groveling, trying to apologize. I said, no, you should own it. Right. I you agree. should absolutely own it. Totally agree. Because without question, how else do you describe Richard Spencer and David Duke? You know, right. she didn't say everybody. And that's where I think we get caught up. Because I, I do have, in, in my opinion, I do have a lot of, of people that I respect and enjoy their company and they're welcome in my home every day of my life who voted for Trump and still support Trump. Now, I individually, I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me, but I haven't identified it yet. I, I, in my opinion, I haven't identified where this fascination comes from. Um, uh, as best I can tell, it does seem to come, and I really do use this as being critical of the Democrats, it comes from people who try to explain and, and never offend anybody. And the reality, and I've said this a hundred times, the reality is if Jesus came back and ran for president, he'd only get 63% of the vote. <laughs> Probably. And yet... Donald Trump makes these horrendous comments about Mexicans and Muslims and transgender and whatever issue you want to pick on and never apologizes for it. And his base rallies like he tells it like it is. He, and then you have the Democratic side, the so-called liberal side. They're trying to grovel and, and appease everybody. Right. And the reality is it can't be done. And it's the way I do sports. It's exactly the way I've done sports, and I think it's one of the reasons that I've managed to survive in Dallas for 38 years. I said from the day I got here, from the very beginning, I'm not going to try and please everybody. I'm going to try to get the biggest piece of the pie that I can, but I know full well that I'm not going to cover soccer. I'm not going to cover enough hockey. I'm not going to cover uh, enough of your favorite college teams. I'm not going to, whatever it is. I'm going to do what I do, and I'm going to do it the way I do it, and I think and I hope that that will enable me to garner the, the biggest share of the audience, which it has for yeah. 38 years. I, I, and people say to me on a regular basis, if, if you would stop talking about these social issues, I, I would watch you again. And my answer is always the same. Well, if I stop talking about these social issues so that you will watch me, what do I say to all the people who watch me because I do talk about social issues? Right. And I, think, I, I can't satisfy both of you. Right. And I think it can't be done. And listen, you're in a position now. I, I mean, I feel like I'm in this position and I'm, I'm not even remotely even comparing myself to you. But, it, you know, it, at some point, you just got to do what you want to do and not worry about who's watching it. Who's, you know, listen, if a Trump supporter doesn't like what I have to say, then don't read my <laughs> stuff. I don't care. Like people, At some point, you just got to stop caring about the audience. People, people say this to me a lot is, you know, when when I write a commentary, the, the criticism usually runs the gamut from, oh, you, you're just writing that for the shock value. Uh, you're just writing that to kiss up to a certain segment of the audience. Uh, you're just writing that knowing you're going to rile up, you know, whoever. I promise you, and everybody who knows me will tell you this, which is probably a little scary to some people, but I, I, I've never written anything I don't believe. Mm -hmm. And I have never once written a line and thought to myself, uh, I hope this doesn't offend somebody. Um, I hope people like this. I, 
I, I, I don't, I, I never think in those terms. Right. I, I just never do. I write exactly what I believe. Right. I write exactly what I feel needs to be said. And then I just uh, let the audience uh, decide. And um, uh, I, I never write for the shock value, although for some reason, and again, see, here, here's what I find fascinating about critics of, of, of any stripe. I get a whole bunch of people telling me that I write only for the shock value to make it all about me and to garner all this great attention that I've been getting the last several years. While at the same time, Mike Fisher is over there saying, ah, he never writes anything at all. He just writes about, hey, don't beat up women, uh, don't do illegal drugs, respect your parents. Your and I'm like, well, which is it? You know, I mean, and, and what I learned, fortunately for me, a long time ago, I don't care. Right. I, I, I just, and that offends a lot of people. I mean, that, that really riles up some, some typical viewers. And I said, no, I, I care enough to give you the very best product that I believe I can give you. Right. I am committed every night to do the very best job I can to hopefully have you at least feel like, hey, I'm, I'm glad I checked that out. I'm glad I watched that. That's that's what my responsibility is. And again, that's, that's my obligation to right. you. Yeah, you know, my obligation isn't to make you love me. My obligation isn't to make you agree with me. Uh, it is on Fox now, obviously, and unfortunately, it goes the other way, like on MSNBC. Yeah, and it, I mean, it, it, it really offends me that that Fox sees everything through one prism, and quite honestly, MSNBC sees everything through another prism. And, and while I do have a great deal of respect for a lot of people on CNN, they're trying so hard, in my opinion, they're trying so hard to, to play it straight, despite what uh, the critics say. They put people on and all they do is argue back and forth and nobody accomplishes anything. Right. Well, CNN they did, end up yeah. talking over one another. Okay, uh, Bob, you're the liberal guy. Give us your point of view. Okay, John, you're the conservative guy. Give us, oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Right. Let, let's get to the bottom issue here and explore it. And it, 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 we're in a crazy business right now. We're in an absolutely crazy business. And again, not to take away from any of the videos and the, and the, and the merit of those videos that you've done, but again, I feel like the things you've said that have taking on a life of their own. Michael Sam, uh, you know, gay people should be allowed to kiss who they want when they want, like everyone else. G guns, let's not have school shootings. Let's try to do something about the guns. This is why black people feel oppressed, and this is why they are protesting. All common sense. Think, I, to say that that's shock value for me is shocking that someone would think that's shock value, but that's just me again. But let me ask you this. Which one of those videos that you've done that's gone viral has gotten you the most, not the most reaction, but the most um, negative reaction or the most amount of hateful response or the one that pissed people off the most? Which one got people the most angry? I, I, think, I think this one will really shock you. Um, I don't know that it went uh, technically viral because, again, I'm not sure how that happens or what it means, but I wrote a piece um, several years ago about the Affordable Care Act. Okay. And I, it was at this time that I was, um, uh, I, which I was still doing like in the mornings. Um, uh, we've kind of morphed back into trying to make it sports related, but there was a, a time several years ago um, where channel eight uh, wanted me to write for the morning show. And the, the agenda was whatever I wanted it to be. And they said, you know, you're good at this. You've been here long enough. You, you write whatever you want. So I was writing a lot of um, uh, social type stuff as compared to just the typical, you know, sports related stories. 
And I wrote this piece about the argument that we were having at that time over the Affordable Care Act. And there's this this um, uh, political operative, I guess you would call her. She's like a campaign manager for mostly Republicans, but but she she'll jump to the other side. Uh, but but she's very, very big power broker in Dallas. She calls me after the commentary that I wrote and she said, oh, my God, the great, she, we, she and I've been friends for 30 plus years. She goes, oh, my God, the great Dale Hansen. Oh, my God. You, you, boy, you went way out on a limb, Dale. Oh, you were so brave. And she's laughing, making fun of me because here's exactly what I said, Jimmy. Here's exactly what I said. I don't know if the Affordable Care Act is the plan that we need or if it's the plan that will work. But I know this. The health system in America is broken and we need to sit down, quit pointing fingers at one another and saying only my side wins. And we need to find an answer to a problem that affects every single American today because the American healthcare system is broken and we need to find a way to make it better and make it work for all of us. That is all I said. And it was the most overwhelmingly negative, (laughs) the most unbelievably vile reaction to anything I've ever written. And I promise you, I said that that was as strong as it went. I'm afraid to, I do believe it. I'm, a, I'm afraid to ask this question, but what was the argument from those people? Like, what were they well, mad that, about? That I was, that I was, well, basically it was nothing more than, oh, you're just in Obama's pocket trying ah. to socialize the communist approach to gotcha. America. Uh, you're, you're joining, you're, you're getting, I mean, just all the same old yeah. stupid arguments. How, we had. I said, no, I, I didn't say that at all. Di- I said, in fact, one of the first lines was this, this might not work. Right. This not, this might not be the answer. Right. And I used to work one of my first jobs. I was a bill collector and, and I could, I could bore you to tears at how crooked the system was back in the late or early seventies rather, mm-hmm. because I was there. I was the guy that manipulated the bills based on your <laughs> income. Uh, we manipulated the test that we ran based on the insurance card that you, I mean, it was, it was obscene, yeah. which is why I got fired from that job. And so I know the system is broken. Right. And I mean, I had people like, I'm going to shoot you in the head and you better hope that that Affordable Care Act that you love so much works because I'm going to throw your fat body in the river and they're going to have to dig you out with a fork and then I'm going to kill your wife and kill all your kids. I mean, it was unbelievable. It seems like and a reasonable Carol reaction. Reed, who's on the other side, basically, basically a Republican for the most part, she's just laughing at me. And I said, Carol, let, let me read you. And this, this is just some of the, let me hit, give you the hits. Right. And I started reading her the, the emails that people had sent. And she's basically like, she's like, who are these people? And, and that's what to this day scares me. Right. I, I'm trying to identify how, how many it is, but without question, there, there are, there are just some people in our, in our country that I, I, who the hell are these people? You know, we used to, to me, I always loved the story. Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, the congressman from Massachusetts, and here's Ronald Reagan, the, the god to the conservatives, and they would argue and scream and fight like hell and argue about different issues, and then they go, you got time for a drink? Huh. You want to go grab a hamburger, you know? Right. And, and we used to do that. I mean, we really used to do that. And now it's we, we choose up sides before anybody knows what they're voting for. I mean, you hear this all the time. 
I don't know what's in the bill, but the Republican Party wants it, so I'm voting for it. Nope, I'm sorry. I'm in the Democrat Party. I'm voting against it. Right. Oh, here's what the Democrats want. Yeah, I'm for it. No, I'm a Republican. I'm against it. What, what kind of a world is that? What, what, what kind of a world? And I know it's corny and trite to some people. But I've got a granddaughter who's got a whole lot longer to live in this world than I do. And what kind of a world are we leaving this little girl? What, what kind of a world is she going to grow up in if we simply decide? I mean, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but you remember, and this is so simple. I don't, again, it's why I don't understand it. Sean Hannity used to rail about President Obama playing golf too much. Of course. And Trump plays more golf in the first year than Mr. Obama played in eight years. And Sean Hannity says, and I, I agree with this, by the way, you need to get away from the pressures of that office. You need to relax with your friends and play some golf. And that's why what Trump is doing is a good thing. He, he takes more golf vacations in his first year than Mr. Obama took in eight years. And Sean Hannity says, oh, it was a horrible thing. Previously, it's a good thing now. And he does it night after night after night. And I'm like, how can you watch that? How can you watch that and not understand what's happening to our country? And my buddy was like, oh, hell, God, don't worry about that. That's a small issue. I said, I know it's a small issue, but it's a lie. It's a lie. Right. Well, yeah. And they don't care anymore. They know, right. But that, boy, that, when Obama did it, oh, when Obama did it, they were, they were up in arms. Well, and plus, I mean, the best, uh, I think. It just, it just drives me nuts. I think the best thing for this country is that. Trump spends all his time on the golf course instead of watching Fox News or tweeting because that's not getting us anywhere. But let me uh, let me wrap up with this last well, question. I mean, the, the only thing that the only thing that gives me hope, and I don't have nearly as much as I used to. Yeah. Um, but but this country has always ebbed and flowed. I mean, uh, the stock market goes up, the stock market goes down, unemployment goes up, unemployment goes down, prices go up, price, prices keep going up for the most part. Um, but I, I, I don't have the optimism that I used to have which bothers me a great deal because sure. I am, I like to think I'm an optimistic person. Right. Um, and, and it bothers me. And, and, you know, I, I, I'm trying real hard. I mean, it's, um, um, you know, we, I, I'm going back to Iowa in uh, uh, September. Uh, my sister's running for uh, uh, public office, like county treasurer in Iowa. And uh, so she asked me to come back and speak at a little group fundraiser kickoff, whatever they call it. And, the argument from my boss was, well, you're kind of crossing the line, but it, it's for your sister. What the hell go, but don't bash Trump. Oh God. And it's kind of a directive. Uh, and you see, you're seeing this in a lot of places that, um, um, you know, you, you can take this position, but when I do bump up against it, um, uh, that that's when people get concerned. Um, uh, because there's a lot of things I'd like to say that I just don't. Um, I, I keep hoping that I'll eventually get called out on Twitter by him, but it hasn't happened yet. I, <laughs> I was hoping I would. <laughs> he, uh, he, 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 go open, go open a school for, um, open a school for at-risk kids yeah, and yeah, then maybe yeah. he'll come after you. Yeah. And go on yeah. Don Lemon's show. Yeah. yeah. I was, I was supposed to be on Don Lemon's show when this all broke about the national anthem piece with Jerry and I, I just couldn't do it. The schedule was right. kind of crazy, but yeah, maybe I should have done it. Then, um, then, then I would have gotten called well, that, out. But, that, um, that, that's what I want to. I, I mean, just somebody. I mean, somebody has to. Somebody has to keep talking about these issues. I mean, they really do. Yeah. And 
um, you know, I don't know that I'm doing any great service for anybody here, but uh, I I do, I do know I enjoy doing it. Um, I have fun doing it. And, and I do want to be that person that, um, um, you know, when my granddaughter or my great granddaughter, hopefully someday will look at me and go, so what were you doing back then? What were you saying back then? And, and I want her to be able to Google up and I go, well, here, here's, here's what your papa said. Here's what your papa did. And I've thrown that argument at friends of mine and I go, you want your granddaughter to grow up? And, and your answer would be, no, I didn't do anything. I didn't say anything. And, uh, um, you know, I, I don't know. We'll see. I bet oh, um, she'll be able to see it, it all. At the end of the day, it's who I am, and that's all I can yeah. be. She'll be know, able so. to see it all thanks to YouTube. Uh, before before we before we wrap it up, I just want to ask you <laughs> one, one last question. So we have talked about it. Yeah. The the NFL season starts in two weeks. The anthem controversy is not going anywhere. The NFL could not have botched it anymore. You're there in Dallas where Jerry Jones is insistent that everyone stands for the anthem. Um what, how do you see this playing out this season? Is this going to dominate again? Because it's a mess right now. It's a, it's a horrible mess. And, and you're absolutely right. I mean, the NFL has botched it so bad. It's ridiculous. But, but here's the thing. And this is part of what I've, I've said on the air down here as well. And most people know this to be true. It's real easy for Jerry Jones to act like this tough guy. Um, but as, as I've said, you know, well, let me see Dak Prescott take a knee. But the, the, the reality is Jones knows, and I don't have a problem with this. If they don't want to, they certainly don't have to. But Jones knows none of his players are going to take a knee. He, he, so he comes off as this real tough guy. And, and I kind of stuck the needle in him a few times over the last couple of weeks, and, and I get a lot of people laughing about it and joking about it because the reality is he does this a lot. He, he stands up right up until he thinks it's going to benefit him personally or maybe benefit his football team. Where they're going to go with this, I don't know. I, 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 I hear talk about, you know, what was it? Uh, ESPN now has, has decided once again that well, they're not going to show the national anthem. And people are all up in arms about this like it's some big deal. I said, well, they didn't show the national anthem until the NFL struck a deal with the military. Well, no, I mean, and they and they never the and they never show it on Sundays. And CBS and Fox never show it on Sundays ever. Right, right. right. I mean, it's just you know, it, it it would have died out. I I really do believe this. I think it would have died out a long time ago if, uh, shall we say, Trump hadn't made that comment in Alabama. Well, he was, uh, yeah. I, I don't think she questioned about that. I I think it would have died out because th- this is what really offends a lot of people down here uh, from from the right, if you will. I do base a great deal of what I do on what people say to me, what people write me about, what, what people talk about when I'm in different social circles, when I'm, I, I do, I do a lot of public speaking at, you know, the Rotary club all the way up to the college graduations, you know, whatever. I never had one person and I, and maybe I'm in the wrong circles, but I never had one person write me, comment to me, talk to me, anything about the anthem of, of Colin Kaepernick taking a knee until Trump said these SOBs should be fired. Right. Not one, not one, because what were there like nine guys taking a knee? Right. I mean, six guys and, taking a knee. And, and I mean, if I may interrupt just, and, and after the first 
maybe I would say two weeks of the regular season, the networks completely stopped showing the anthem and the players taking the knee. Yeah. The issue had completely died down yeah, until yeah. Trump did it. And let and no one I should mean, it, Go ahead. Not, nobody was really caring that much. Right. I mean, I, at least in my honest opinion, they were and then I've had a few oh, I cared a great deal. I said, Well, you watch me, right? Why did you know? You know I've got this great platform. Why, did, why didn't you drop me an email? I said you. You sent me an email about uh, about uh, uh, Zeke Elliott. Uh, you sent me an email about Jerry Jones. You said, but you never once sent me an email about right. how offended you are by players taking a knee. I mean, not once. Right. Not once. And I've said this to. I, I, I've got I've got some email people who who I mean they email me on a, on a weekly basis. And I had to point out to them, I said, you've sent me a thousand emails over the last 20 years. You sent me a thousand of them. You never sent one about how offended you were by the black athlete taking a knee during the anthem until all this big brouhaha started. Right. Now you're telling me you can't, you can't deal with it. You just can't accept it yet. I said, I mean, come on, shut up, and shut the, up. And, no- and it, it's, it's what we do a lot. We, we jump to the side of an issue, not because we care or know, but that's what our team says we're supposed to do. Right. And, and as my best friend always says, it, it's just easier than thinking sometimes. Right. And, and you know, we, let, uh, we let other people tell us what we're supposed to think, and we don't think it through. Right. And nobody should get it twisted. Donald Trump couldn't possibly care less about the national anthem. No. He's made it an issue Not for his cult. That's the only reason why he keeps well, bringing it up. It's, it's why I, I honestly didn't think that that commentary that I did from training camp with Jones is with the cap on would resonate the way it did. But I think it did because of just that. Well, I think you're, under, I you're, you're underestimating how much people don't like Jerry Jones around the country, I think. Well, that, that's also true. I mean, anything you can do to expose him is, <laughs> is, is always going to work to some extent. Yes. But, but, it, but again, it's classic. It's absolutely classic. This was the man who was portraying himself as this patriot that he cared so much about that flag and respecting it and following the protocols that we have created and and honoring the commitment that so many people have made. He cared so much about it that he put his cap on while it was being played. And when he was told that he had his cap on, he goes, I can't do it. I, I'm not taking my cap on. And because, I, again, I think, he, you know, he, he did, I, I don't think he had his toupee on that day. And he didn't want to show his bald head. It's the only thing I can figure. But, but that's how much he cared. Right. Absolutely. That, that's how much, when you strip all the nonsense away, that's how much he cared. Right. And, right. and it, it's, it's the same thing with so many issues going on in America today. And it, 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 just, it just wears me out. Yeah. It just, uh, my, my brother-in-law said to me one time, uh, going back to, to, to the Obama years, and I said, what's your problem with Obama? And my sister's got diabetes, and she's got a very severe case of diabetes. And I said, he's trying to make this better. You know, you're paying medical bills that are almost bankrupting you. Um, I, I, again, as I said, I don't know if this is the right answer, but I know it has to be better than what we've had before. And if not, we'll fix it. And he looks at me, and, and he says, I think Obama's trying to redistribute the wealth. Ah, uh, man, it's a classic. Uh, and I looked at him, I said, well, then what the hell are you worried about? You don't have any money. I do. <laughs> I should be the one. If that's the issue, I should be the one who's upset. You've got nothing to worry about because you don't have any money. <laughs> and, and yet, and yet there is this pocket. <clears throat> excuse me, excuse me. I think there is this, this element of people who believe that they too are going to be billionaires someday. So they want the tax breaks that the billionaires get. Right. 
Yeah, and it's like the latest tax proposal that they pushed through Congress. And as I've said to every one of my friends, what'd you buy? What did you buy? What did you do with that money? Hell, the money that I got, and I got a nice little bump in my paycheck, it, did, it doesn't cover the flop in my poker game. I mean, it didn't change, it didn't change one thing. And I'm like, you're sitting there saying that this is like the greatest thing that's ever been done in 30 years. I'm like, what'd you buy? Did you buy a better car? Did you move to a bigger house? Did you, no, you didn't do anything. Because it, it, it just it didn't, it didn't impact you at all. Right. And yet, well, my team says this is great. Okay, well, my team says it's not. Boom, we choose upsides, end of conversation. Right. When in fact, sometimes we just need to sit down and talk to one another. And, and just like when I talked earlier about this conservative friend of mine, when we sat down and talked about gay rights in America, I'm having dinner at his house, and there's a gay man there. And I just started laughing, and, and the guy was a friend of his wife. And I'm like, hell, four years ago, you wouldn't have let him in the front door. He, yeah, he's a good man. He's a good man. All right, well, that's a good and story. And we just laughed. And, you know, and, yeah. and the, the, the sexual assault, I mean, he thought it was all bogus until I explained to him why these people don't always report it the way he thinks they should. Mm-hmm. Now he's changed his tune. Because when people do sit down and talk, you, you're not going to – Nobody's ever going to win every argument, nor, nor probably should they. Yeah. But for some reason, we've lost this ability, and I'm trying, believe it or not, I'm still trying to engage the other side. Maybe I'll learn something. Um, I haven't yet, but I keep, I keep holding out hope that well, maybe I will. You're you know? a better person than um, me because I can't. Because con- their side makes no sense. You're to a me. better person than me because I can't give the other side a chance. I'm not a good person that way. Let me, I, let me go in a yeah, totally yeah. different direction. 30 seconds. Give me I, 30 seconds. How are the Cowboys going to do this year? I think they're going to be good. Um, I, I don't think they're going to be Super Bowl good, but um, barring the absolute uh, reality of playing in the NFL, if, if they stay healthy, um, I, I like the way they're, they're starting to, uh, to, to put this team back together. Um, they, they won't have an explosive offense, but I do think they'll run the ball, control the clock, and I think the defense is going to be considerably better than it has been. So I think they win 10 or 11 games and be a playoff team and then probably uh, wow. like they have for the better part of 20-plus years, do something stupid and ruin the whole season. 10 or 11, that's pretty good. I mean, I think their Vegas number is like 8 or something like that. So that's a, so you yeah, like, a, you like yeah. a good I, I think Tough I, division, tough division. I, it is a tough division, but I mean, you know, the, the reality, I think the division will play out like it always does. They'll win, they'll win some, they'll lose some. Yeah. Um, one of my guys that works on my show, a former Cowboys coach, he, he thinks this Carolina game is going to be a huge test right out of the box. I yeah. mean, it's the first game of 16. He said, yeah, but it, it, it could set a tone, and I think there's some truth to that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that, that they always split with Washington, no matter how good Washington is or how bad Washington is. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philadelphia is going to be interesting. Obviously, they're, they're really good or could be. But then, you know, we've seen a lot of teams that back up after they're good for that first run. Um, but, but I still think, um, you know, again, I, I know the numbers. I, I, I'm not going to put any money on it, and I, and I wouldn't necessarily want you to replay this down the road someday, <laughs> unless, of course, I'm right. But um, um, I, I still think they can find a way to get 10 wins, and if everything breaks right, um, I, I think they could get to 11. I, I, right. I do. And when I say this, and again, look it up. Uh, this is not coming from your typical sportscast homer for the local team because right. my wife just loves the Dallas Cowboys. 
And I'll be honest with you, it's a little more fun to cover them when they lose. <laughs> Jerry Jones, Jerry Jones is really fun to interview while he's trying to explain why they're losing. Right, right. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of tired of, um, I'm kind of tired of covering a losing team. I, I, I wouldn't. Um, uh, the town really does buy into the Cowboys when they get good. There's an obnoxious element that comes along with it uh, to some extent, but um, the, the town's just got a little better. Uh, a little better feel about itself when the Cowboys are winning, it, and uh, and I kind of enjoy that. Sounds a lot like the Yankees here. That New York City has a buzz when the yeah, Yankees are winning, I and we're exactly and, and we're obnoxious about it. So I, I we can relate. Yeah. Dale, I I really yeah. appreciate yeah, all the time and and the conversation. And uh, uh, if anyone's listening, uh, any Trump supporter listening, send Dale wants the hate emails. You don't have to send them to me. Just send them <laughs> over to Dale. All right. D Hanson at wfaa.com. <laughs> Perfect. And I answer every one of them. All right. We'll send them all your way. Dale, th- again, thanks for the time and the conversation. I really enjoyed it. And uh, enjoy the you. NFL season. All right. All thank right. you, Jimmy. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take care. All right. My thanks to Dale Hanson. That is a man who can speak. You might not agree with everything he has to say, but boy, he lays it out there and uh, he gives it all to you. So very interesting conversation there with Dale Hansen. We will be back next week. No politics, I promise. People are probably having a stroke listening to this, but um, hard to stay away from it with Dale, who's gone viral so many times for things. But next week, we'll we'll keep it more um, light for everyone out there who's so upset when you talk about politics. All right, that wraps up this edition of the SI Media Podcast. We'll see you next week. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. 
Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.